Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. Invest Talk, over 31 million downloads and counting. I wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol. I just really like it as a long term play. I uh, appreciate the show, appreciate all the knowledge. Thanks, guys. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our August 30th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. So I appreciate you all tuning in this hour, and I'm going to do my very best to make it informative and instructive for you in order to make better money decisions. That's our job here each and every weekday. And I'm going to operate with my mission statement, as always, which is independent thinking and shared success. We're not CNBC. We're not here to, to, to bang bells and whistles. And we're here to bring you along in our success. And the way that I do that is by providing unbiased guidance to you, whether we're talking about the market, uh, we're talking about a particular sector, a stock, a strategy, whatever it is, we are here to give you the facts. So I'm Justin Klein. I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions. And that means you can interact with, with us right now during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, or you can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. 888-989-CHART. So let's get to our first listener question now, and it's going to be Leo uh, from Hawaii looking at SNCY. Oh, wrong symbol. Okay. Leo, you there? Hello? Leo, yeah, you there? Uh, thanks for taking my call. Of course, of course. What uh, what do you what uh, is the symbol you're looking at? Yeah, NSRGY is uh, Nestle. Uh, which one? Nestle. NF. Um, R R R G Y. N F R G Y. What company is this? Nestle. Netflix. Nestle. Oh, Nestle. Got it. Nestle. Oh, okay. Yeah. N-S-R-G-Y. Got it. Okay. Uh, do you own it or looking to buy it? Yeah, I own about like a small position and I wanted mm-hmm. to see and get your thoughts on if it would be a good stock to own for the long term. Well, if you look at Nestle, uh, historically, their profitability is strong and consistent. Return on equity, trailing 12 months, is about 27%. But if you look over the last decade plus, that, that isn't the high end, but still it, it averages in the uh, the high teens, which is very, very good. Uh, so that's always the start of, for me, looking at oh a long-term hold. I want, I want a company that is consistently producing strong return on capital for shareholders and allocating that capital correctly and producing cash flows, positive free cash flows, which they are in spades. So I do think this is a strong long-term hold as part of a a diversified portfolio. You're not going to get great growth here, 
but you're going to get consistency. And if that's what you're looking for, you're looking for a company that is going to consistently uh, grow its earnings. This is the type. It's trading at 26 times earnings, so it's definitely not cheap. Uh, and it's only growing about 4% per year, 5% a year uh, on sales and, and earnings, which once again, isn't, isn't a neck-breaking growth, but you are getting strong profitability of a 2% dividend yield, although you're only going to get that annually. So understand that that because it, it is a foreign company. It's out of Switzerland. So I like the name. Uh, it's, once again, it's not cheap. It's not overly expensive, but it is a bit expensive. And so as a long-term hold, I like it. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Could certain Fed-proof stocks be due for a bounce? I'm going to look at uh, some recommendations. It's a, it's a CNBC article. So uh, I think this is more instructive to w- what you read and how kind of bare bones it is. And uh, they recommend two sectors. Uh, I'm going to give one thumbs up and one thumbs down, but you'll, you'll see that coming up. Another topic, uh, some other topics I want to fit in, such as the fact that these crypto firms are starting to try to gain access to the Fed's payment system, which would change the dynamics of that space entirely uh, and potentially bring more risk and also some more activity there. So that will be interesting to, to look after. And then estate planning. The softer side of estate planning, things like end-of-life care, um, guardianship, etc. The things that most people think of a, a, a will and a trust and the things that are being moved, right? The assets that are being uh, designated to certain people, etc. But the softer things oftentimes are just as, if not more important than the assets that you're discussing in the, in these legal documents. So we're going to, we're going to look at that, uh, that article as well and really dive in deep because I think that's important because it's more of a qualitative thing. We talk about numbers so much on the show, uh, and that's quantitative, but qualitative decisions are also very important. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had the S and P up a solid 19 points, about half a percent modest update there. You really had strength in the NASDAQ, which was a bit shocking, up almost 1%. And the NYSE, that was actually down 25 points. So really, you continue to see this top-heavy market. The, The larger stocks continue to kind of grind. And the rest of the market tends is is kind of choppy. To be honest with you, if you look at the end, like I said, NYSE is down 25 points. It hasn't gone very far since early May. And you need to understand, you need to look at the stocks underneath the surface because you can't have these this very bifurcated market. Um, and you continue to see this uh, dispersion that is not that that is weighted towards the larger cap names uh, going up and the mid and smaller cap names underperforming. So uh, that's where we are today. Uh, Very interesting to see what happens tomorrow as we uh, enter the the holiday weekend, right? We have a holiday weekend coming up uh, and more and more discussion about what tapering will be in the back half of the year. But the fact there wasn't really a taper tantrum tells me that the market's not worried about it yet. That a taper 
they, they're producing so much cash. They're spend. They're buying so many assets that a small taper is not going to mean a whole lot. Um, but you get deeper into the tapering, uh, that potentially could be an issue. So that's what I'm looking at is what will the details about the tapering process come out as. Now we're heading into a quick break and I'm here. The phone lines are open at 888-99-CHART. Summer's moving fast. The Labor Day holiday is already on the horizon and you can't afford to lose focus. So have your finance and investment questions ready and call Justin Klein now. Invest Talk. 888 99 chart. Let's go to Raphael in Dallas looking at SSSS. Is that right? Suro Capital? Yeah. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Doing well. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Um, I am potentially looking to buy it. I honestly am just kind of curious about it. I found it using stock screener, um, screening by like. Price, uh, price to earnings and revenue growth and had a good profit margin. And uh, I just wanted to like see what your perspective was on a company like this. Okay. Well, this is a business development company. means it's mainly a closed-end management investment company. They go out there and they invest in capital-backed and emerging companies. They take they take uh, probably debt and, and equity stakes in these companies, and they pay out uh, a dividend. Now, the dividend is pretty pretty high, 7.8%, but also know that the dividend it looks to be kind of a, a all over the place. 2015, they paid $2.76. 2016, they paid $0.04. In 2017 and 18, they paid $0.00. Cents. So this is not one of your consistent dividend payers. It looks like more of a company that pays special dividends, probably in relation to uh, a potential buyout of some of their companies that could infuse them of cash, things like that, that allows them to pay a big one-time payment. So don't think that 7.8% is uh, consistent or or reliable because it's not. And the earnings this year are supposed to be $6.78, but it doesn't look like they've ever before this made made much money and that's really the issue here is that their profitability is just all over the place and you can't really rely on these recent numbers because it looks to be more of a one-off uh type of event and maybe these one-off type events happen every three or four years but it's not something to hang your hat on does that make sense yeah, absolutely makes sense. It definitely looked a little strange. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a very small company, three hundred ten million dollar market cap. The chart had been strong, but it did have a reversal a couple weeks ago, and that tells me a little. That's an indication to me that maybe this run is getting long. The fact that it had such a strong reversal on decent volume. Uh, so I would be very hesitant to buy this name. So small, and that dividend is not reliable. Let's go to Justin in Louisiana looking at RJF, much larger company, $19 billion market cap, Raymond James Financial. You own it? Or are you looking yeah, back? Hey, Justin. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I own it, and it actually it's doubled, I guess, in price. So I'm just curious, at least for me, when I picked it up. So I'm just curious whether I should take some off, or does this still look strong to keep growing from where it's at? Well, 
you you definitely had a nice little down day today. Let me look at the fundamentals right. here. Now, the pandemic has certainly helped their business. 2019, they made $7.40 a share. Last year, they only make $6.12 a share. This year, they're supposed to make almost $10 a share. Uh, and next year, next year's flat uh, expected earnings, uh, about $10 a share as well. So it, it the, the recent growth looks to be slowing uh, dramatically. So understand that. So even go on forward earnings, you had about 14 times, which is relatively cheap. The five-year P range is 8 to 17, though. So it is on the high end of the typical range that this sells at. Uh, you're now you're up a hundred percent. What percentage of your overall portfolio is it? I wish I could tell you, but I didn't look at that and which I knew it was going to be a question, but I just didn't look at that. Uh, so okay. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay. Well, well, first off, make sure that it, it's, it's no more than probably 3% at this point after this large run. And our value is closer to a hundred dollars a share. It's at one forty. And I think that's my issue here is uh, it's a decent company. It's uh, it's one of those uh, companies. It's not the, the best broker or uh, financial advisor out there, but they do fairly well. And it's, uh, it's a strong business, but it's expensive at these levels. So uh, I'm going to say trim it. And I would have an out of below 123, 123, that's where I would probably take the rest off if it falls below those levels on a weekly basis. That's where I would uh, dump it because I think it's not worth more than $100 a share. Now, the momentum still is up, uh, but that momentum is slowing, and this is a good time to to be reducing your position. Thanks for the call, Justin, and uh, stay safe down there in Louisiana. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about, what, 35 minutes left, so I encourage you to get your question in sooner rather than later. Now, my main focus point today is on a couple of sectors, and this is a more of a, an article. It's from Trading Nations on uh, CNBC, and it's highlighting two sectors they think it's because it's underperforming that they're set for a snapback. And I'm not so sure about that. And after the break, I'm going to unpack what those sectors are. And one that I kind of agree with because of the economic backdrop and another not so much. Now, we're headed to another break and the phones are ready for you at 888-99-CHART. And Jacob from the Bay Area, hang on, you'll be next. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Let's go talk to Jacob in the Bay Area. He wants to talk about investing strategies. Hey, Justin. How you doing? Doing well. Um, so I recently just uh, took some gains on the stock, and now I'm trying to offset that by taking some losses. Um, okay. My question is, is, I would like to eventually get back into that stock, um, but I was wondering, is there a certain period of time that I would need to stay out to, to take the loss? 
Yes, it's 31 days. So uh, what what he's talking about is the wash rule. So if you sell a position at a loss and you want to apply that towards your gains for the year, you can't just sell it and then buy the same position back uh, just to take the loss. You have to wait 31 days. So uh, make sure you understand the wash rule. Uh, obviously, this only applies towards your taxable accounts, IRAs, things like that. You don't have any tax uh, gain issues. So make sure you, you understand that. And, and one strategy a lot of people will use is they'll sell a position and then they'll buy something very similar. For example, Exxon and Chevron. Maybe you have a loss in Exxon and you, you're still bullish on oil. You go sell your Exxon. And then you go use that money. You take that loss. Use the money. Buy Chevron. Wait 30 days. And then maybe you, maybe you like Exxon better, but Chevron's going to give you a similar kind of proxy to the Exxon uh, stock. And then you sell Chevron 31 days later, and then you go buy Exxon again. Or maybe use like a, a proxy, going back to oil again, maybe an XLE where you're actually owning some a lot of Exxon within that XLE and you're getting a lot of the same uh, performance. Even though you're holding different positions, you're able to take that loss. 31 days later, you sell XLE, you go buy Exxon. So that's, that's a strategy that a lot of people use and, and I think it's a smart way to go if you still want exposure to that sector as a whole. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for the call, Jacob. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Could certain Fed-proof stocks be due for a bounce? And this is this is a, a CNBC article, so you always want to take these with a grain of salt. But what they point to are a couple of analysts, and they're looking at two sectors. One is the consumer discretionary, XLY is the ETF that you would purchase. The other is the biotech sector, XBI. XBI. And they're basically saying that consumer discretionary stocks should continue to be strong. And there's even more pent up demand than last year. Remember, 2020's holiday season was actually pretty strong. And there's even more pent up demand this year. Now you'd say, well, last holiday season was strong because of all the stimulus. And that's certainly, uh, you could argue the same this time around, but less direct money going to people, more of the moratoriums and things rolling off in the back half of the year. And I think that's the biggest risk to this idea is that those rent and mortgage moratorium roll-offs are going to change the dynamic of consumer spending. You look at the consumer confidence report, that's been relatively weak later, uh, lately, excuse me. Uh, and, and I think that's the biggest risk. Remember, I'm always giving you the pros and the cons. To, to anything. That's how you always want to look at every investment decision. So what are the pros? What are the cons? What are the uh, opportunity costs of, of tying that capital up, et cetera? And of these two, I actually like the consumer discretionary side better. Why? Because a lot of the money that's been out there, the, people have been using it to repair balance sheets for the most part, pay down credit card debt, pay off loans, Etc. Especially businesses with the PPP loans were able to pay down loans and all that. And so uh, the, the consumer balance sheet is a lot stronger than it was pre-pandemic. You think you wouldn't think it would be like that, but that's the way it is. 
And so of these two, I'm going with the consumer discretionary side of the market. Now, that doesn't mean every consumer discretionary stock is going to do well. There are some supply constraints that are are, uh, plaguing some of the retail companies, Uh, costs of labor, costs of shipping, things like that. And so you have to be very careful within the particular sector. But I like that sector over their other recommendation, and they don't really have a reason. They just said it's underperformed. That doesn't give me a reason why this is going to outperform. And frankly, this is the exact opposite of the pandemic stock. Remember the XBI, the the biotech sector, rallied very strongly into January of this year. And it hasn't come close to its 52-week high around $175 a share. Now it's at $131, the XBI. And it's still below the 200-day moving average and just barely poked its uh, head above the 100-day moving average, which it did last time in June, and it failed. And so technically, it looks poor. Most of these companies don't make money. If interest rates do continue to kind of grind a bit higher you know, in fits and starts, which I think is likely what you'll see going forward, that's not going to bode well for the XBI. So interesting article. Shows you that you don't just want to read these and take them take them uh, as gospel or, or some advice. They're just trying to get clicks, and that's CNBC. So uh, I just wanted to highlight that article because it's important to look at these with an unbiased view, pros and cons, and don't just take the analyst quote within the article as a reason to buy or sell a particular position. Now, in the next Invest Talk, this story. What's the smart play now if housing is cooling down? All four regions of the U.S. reported a year-over-year decline in pending home sales, which is an indicator of home sales that are likely to take place in one to two months. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers. Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses 
that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi guys, my name is Joe from Philly. I'm calling about BSR Real Estate Investment Trust, ticker B as in boy, S as in Sam, R as in Robert, TF. I see it's had a run up recently, but it looks like it's been acquiring more properties around the Austin, Texas area. And I'm kind of looking at it as a play on people kind of moving out of California to the Austin area. Just wanted a price target that you might have on it to get in at. It's a good fair price. I'll listen for the answer on the podcast. Thanks. All right, looking at BSRTF is the symbol, and this is a very small company, only about a market cap of what are we looking at here? Hundred four, so four hundred eighty-eight million. Okay, so it's a decent size, and trailing twelve-month revenue of one hundred twelve million yields about three point two percent or so, and. He's right. This is a play on the Austin market, or uh, they're not just Austin, but uh, they have properties in Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi. And this is a REIT, and it operates multifamily residential rental properties in high growth markets. And Austin looks to be their main source of growth here. And the fact that Housing prices are going up so dramatically in that area and other parts of this uh, the, these markets certainly help them increase rents. The cost of a property goes up. The cost of owning goes up within a particular region. Then it's a lot easier for landlords to up their rental rates because they tend to be far below the cost of ownership if the cost of ownership is going up. And that's what you're seeing here in these regions. And so I kind of like this name. Now it's weird that it's on pink sheets, so it's uh you're gonna have to. It's it's a relatively illiquid, and that's my biggest issue here. But the fact that they have such a strong chart and such a strong presence in these markets where a lot of people are moving. Now, would I make it a? Do I think that Austin is the best play within the REIT space or the real estate place space? Probably not. Uh, this is uh, Austin has been going up in value for a long period of time. Uh, tech companies have been moving there, but that's not really the driving force of 
the change in the uh, the demographics and, and where people are living in the U.S. It has more to do with working from home and buying in low cost areas. So Austin is still hot, and that's certainly going to help them. Um, but I would I like it in the near term, but I would be watching the the trends over the longer term to see if that stays. Uh, so within Washington, or sorry, within Austin, excuse me. Well, let's go to Jim in Washington State. That's why I said Washington. In Washington State, looking at J-E-P-I. How you doing, Jim? Hi, Justin. Uh, good. How are you doing? Doing well. You're looking at J-E-P-I. This looks to be some sort of ETF that, uh, yeah, that has a that, relation to the, yeah. S- the S&P. take a look at this. This fund seeks to provide the majority of the returns associated with the primary benchmark, the S&P 500 total return index. Uh, let's see. Is it a covered call strategy? Do you know? Yeah, that's what it looks like. Looks like a covered call strategy. And I like covered call strategies. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, we, we run one and our Equity Income Plus uh, program done very well. And let me see what this has done so far this year. Performance. There we go. Just pulling it up here. Um, now, a lot of people get really stuck on the the yield, and they think that is the the primary driver of why they want to buy it. Um, but ultimately, these are about your total return. And it looks like the t- price has gone up about seventeen percent this year, which is pretty good. Um, n- not quite as good as you know our strategy, but it's still done very, very well. And so I, as a diversified portfolio, I like the cover call strategy. There tends to be some alpha there if you execute it correctly. Uh, the fees, let me look at the fee here. It looks to be 0.35%, not too bad. Uh, so I'm going to give this a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. Now, if people take the now people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their question quickly. So let's get to them now. HS says, I have a question regarding Teva Pharmaceuticals. Is this a deep value play or is this a value trap? Stock has been trading sideways for quite some time. Thanks, guys. Yeah, this is one of those names where there's a lot of hope that they can pull out of the the debt quagmire that they've been in for a long period of time. Just give you some history on the space. This is what the largest generic drug maker in the world and the generic drug industry went through a huge scandal some years back in regards to collusion on prices and and all that and and that uh really had the regulators crack down hard on their businesses a lot of them had made acquisitions to consolidate the industry because they uh knew that they'd be able to keep prices high or thought they could be able to be able to keep prices high they added a lot of debt in order to do that and that's really the issue here is Teva with a $10 billion market cap still has roughly $32 billion, $34 billion in net debt. 
on its balance sheet and only doing 16 million in revenue. And so it's just struggling under the weight of that debt. And that's why the stock has really not gone anywhere. If you look at a longer term chart, you had the large decline. Let me actually go, go out to a monthly. A large decline from $70 back in 2015 all the way down to a low of $6 in uh, July of 2019, so pre-pandemic. And it's really just been stuck here. Now it's at $9.40. And it's really all about how quickly they can pay down that debt and get out from underneath the burden because they stopped paying a dividend. Uh, their free cash flow 12 in 12 months turned negative last month, last uh, right, right currently, which it hadn't been really in its history, even post the scandal. So that's that's really the issue here is it's really just under the weight of all this debt. And until I really get a sense of when they'll be able to get clear of all of that debt or most of that debt and have a reasonable balance sheet, then I'll be interested in, in, in it. But right now, I'm just going to pass on Teva. Pretty Flacco says, I acquired a small position on the Duckhorn portfolio stock, Napa. Napa, let me see this. NAPA. The IPO came out back in March at 15, and I have 24 and change. And it's been on a bit of a downward trend lately. Has it peaked, or do you see a change for the better? Let me look at Napa, NAPA. This is Duckhorn portfolio produces and distributes luxury wines in 50 states. Ah, Duckhorn. They make good wine. I'll tell you that much. I like I like their wine. Now, this is, like you said, it's a recent IPO. Been gyrating here between $24 and $20 a share for the past few months. Uh, it's supposed to make $0.50 cents next year. I just don't see a lot of value here. Just like most recent IPOs, it tends to be overpriced, overhyped, and while I like the brand and I like the wines, I don't love this stock. So I'm passing on Duckhorn. Thank you all for your reviews and I encourage all of you, if you want your question answered quickly, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Now, summer is well underway. We're, we're winding down, really, and Labor Day is just a week away. And we're seeing some volatility here recently, and I think it makes sense to remind you that working with myself or Steve at KP Financial brings some benefits, and it prevent the benefits are unbiased guidance, and you get to invest in the same positions that we are investing, and that's why we practice parallel investing. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or Call our KPP Financial Office in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We want to help you in any way. Just a few, uh, quick conversation and see where we can improve your overall performance and financial position. Now let's touch quickly on, where was it? I had something up here. Here, the crypto companies. Crypto companies are looking to gain access to the Federal Reserve's payment system that more traditional banks tend to use to move money around. Avanti and Kraken, both cryptocurrency uh, exchanges, they are applying for licenses to use these networks. And traditional banks are pushing back and saying, these companies don't have the controls to prevent money laundering and other illicit activities. 
And they don't want them to be part of this network. They want to keep it ring-fenced to the current uh, operators within the space. And there's, there's a fight on both sides. And this struggle for access to this, uh, this, uh, this system is a big concern for not just the big banks, but um, the, what is called the DEEM Association. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to develop a blockchain-based payment network that will be fast and cheaper than the existing system itself. So, and this is backed by Facebook, 25 other members, some other regulated banks as well. And it just goes to show you the fight that's going to happen within the crypto payment space is how what what is the next system going to look like? The Fed is developing its own system that settles instantaneously. And crypto has really brought this to light. Remember T plus three? You used to take what trade used to take three days to settle. Now it's T plus two. They're talking about T plus zero where it settles instantaneously and there's a lot of brokers banks that are looking to to make this happen and this is where it's trending so there's a lot of disruption in this space because it's a it's based on the current system is based on a lot of archaic technology and the new crypto technology blockchain etc just is going to change the way this works that's the end result you have to accept that. The question is, who will the winners be? And the winners are likely to be those that the regulators choose. It's the way it is. Money and payment systems are very much under the purview of regulators, of politicians, and they're not going to give up that without their say. Okay. And so you have to really follow the regulators here and what they say as well as what they do. Now, they've already raised light on the stablecoin market with Tether, and, and, and really Tether looks to be a fraud completely. And that's really the big issue here is there's, it's a very opaque market, and it's a new market that these regulators, in a lot of ways, don't understand. And that's why a lot of these frauds and, and issues keep coming up because there's really nobody that within government that really understands how they work and where the potential loopholes are for deception and fraud. And so that means you as an investor potentially in the space have to do your own homework. You cannot rely on the regulators because the regulators are still trying to figure this out as well. Okay, so... Make sure that you do due diligence and take all of the grandiose statements in the crypto space with a grain of salt. Now, let's keep rolling into another voice bank question, this time from a caller in Texas. Hey, this is Mike from Texas. I was interested in what you guys thought of a company called Canagra Brands, C-A-G, Charlie Alpha Golf. I was considering buying it, so just thought I'd see what you guys thought. Appreciate your show. Looking forward to hearing your response. All right, looking at ConAgra, and this is one of the largest food distribu distribution companies in the world. They produce shelf-stable and frozen foods, retail food, food ingredients, and agricultural products, $15 billion market cap, 3.8% yield. 
And earnings this year are supposed to dip 6%, go up 9% next year. Technically, it's definitely in a downtrend. And that's these are the type of companies that you don't want to own in a rising inflationary environment. Remember, they're not the source of their raw ingredients. They're producing the end product. And so the higher commodity prices, higher input prices makes their margins shrink. And that's not what you want to be buying. Now, if you see inflation start to level off and go down, then you could see a reversal in the recent trends. But right now, no, this is not a name that I want to own because their margins continue to get tighter. And it's already a business that has tight margins. So I'm going to pass on ConAgra in the shorter term. Now, longer term, their business is, is fairly solid. Uh, it's, it's a decent name. Uh, but I don't want a decent name with a poor backdrop uh, in, the, in the economy and with the inflation picture. So I'm passing on ConAgra. This, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. And the issue here is that the prices just run away from the fundamentals. Got a question for Steve or Justin? You're the best person to ask it. 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now. 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, my name is Reed. I'm a 24-year-old from New Jersey. I have two questions here. My one question is about a covered call called Q-Yield. It's Q-Y-L-D. That's the ticker. I'm just wondering more about that and what you guys think. It pays a pretty high dividend and it's a pretty cheap stock or ETF, excuse me. My other question is, is for Roth IRAs or Roth 401ks, do you recommend putting in stocks that pay dividend income or value stocks? Just want to kind of hear what you guys well, on the latter point, first off, is that most dividend stocks are value stocks. There's a strong argument that value investing is just simply uh, dividend investing, and uh, or excuse me, that dividend investing is simply value investing. So, uh, I I like dividend paying stocks. Uh, it gives you not not just dividend paying stocks, but consistent dividend payer that are growing. Let me clarify that because that's far more important than just companies that pay a dividend. And a uh, caller earlier about, uh, I believe it was the closed end uh, fund that had big earnings this year uh, and their dividend was all over the place. So that's an example of the type of dividend stock that I would not own. Uh, but in a Roth IRA, any type of tax deferred account, there's first off, REITs are great to be in there because in a traditional and in a, in a uh, regular brokerage account, a taxable account, REITs are, REIT income is charged to your ordinary income tax rate. It's not qualified dividends, but that's not the case within an IRA, a 401k, a Roth IRA, et cetera. So 
REITs are always good. And then any dividend paying stock is, it tends to be uh, the way I like to go. But it's really up to you and your investment style. Now, you're looking at QYLD, and this is also similar to the previous caller that was looking at – what was the symbol? Uh, I forget the, the symbol, but looking at the S&P covered call uh, ETF. And this is just a NASDAQ 100 covered call ETF, a little bit higher expense ratio, 0. 0.6, which I think the other one was 0.35, higher yield here as well, which makes sense because NASDAQ stocks are going to be more volatile means that their implied volatility of their options are going to be higher and you're going to be able to get more yield. But the volatility of the indexes is going to be uh, more than the S&P. And so that's what you have to understand about a cover call strategy. I like cover call strategy. Like I said, we operate one. Uh, There are ways that you can hedge, though, volatility. And what we do is we, we, based on the market conditions, we will be more aggressive or less aggressive with our hedging uh, with that, those calls. And I don't think these, I haven't looked in the details, I don't think these type of ETFs do that. So you're still going to be subject to downside of the market, but you're going to get that yield. Uh, it's going to cap your upside. That's the, one of the other drawbacks of a cover call strategy is if the market is surging, it will limit your upside. Okay, if it's slowly going higher, it typically actually will improve your overall return. So, if you're if you're picking the QYLD versus I think it's the JEPI, it depends on how much volatility you're willing to handle. Also, which index you're more bullish on, the Nasdaq or the S and P. Now, before we close, I want to highlight uh, some factors that most people don't think about, and it's about your will and your trust and making sure you set one up, and most people think about that in regards to their assets. How are those going to be divided, et cetera? Who's who's going to uh, be your your directive for health insurance, or for insurance, not insurance, for your health directive, excuse me, I'm used to saying health insurance, uh, your health directive to make the decisions of end of life issues. And there are other factors to consider as well to balance your care with your own quality of life, etc. And you need to discuss these and make sure they're documented in a legal document, trust in a will. Guardianship, for example, who's going to be the guardian of your children if they are underage? Attitude towards having dementia, who's going to make decisions? Where do you want to be taken care of, etc.? End of life care, how do you want to be buried? Who's taking care of your pets? Okay, all of these things are important in what you would spell out in your will and trust. If you need help with any of this, give me a call, send me a message. We work with a great team and I can give you some referrals. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which now have hit over 34 million. You can get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. As always, investtalk.com as well. And be sure to rate and review. And if you do, and you leave a question with your rating, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. 
Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial.